So the other day I was uh, looking at a scrapbook. Um, I have all these scrapbooks from uh, years and years and years. And uh, the scrapbook I happened to pull off the shelf was a scrapbook my mom put together years and years ago that actually captured uh, much of my life in, in the 1960s as a child. And I was amazed to see photos of my friends in all kinds of settings. And certainly when looking back all those years, it, it brings forth lots of joyful memories along with sadness for those that are gone. But as I was flipping pages in the scrapbook, I came upon a page that was just an absolute gem. I'd forgotten about it. Stapled to this one particular page were my report cards from elementary school. <laughs> Grades K through five, they were all there. And memories flooded my mind as I saw the familiar names of teachers from those years so long ago. Mrs. Boachesky. What a cool name that was. Mrs. Smith, Mrs. Potter, Mrs. Nichols. As I think about those astonishing women and teachers, I still owe them a lot for all they taught me all those years so long ago. And as I looked at the report cards, there were three columns, one for grades, one for attendance, and one for citizenship. Remember citizenship grades? Well, apparently I was quite the good citizen as I received top marks. That is with the exception of my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Munoz. Perhaps she docked me significantly on citizenship because she did not particularly like the live frog I left in her top desk drawer. <laughs> it wasn't that big of a frog though as I remember. I think it was about this size. I don't know what the problem was. <laughs> well, school citizenship marks in those days had everything to do with attitude and behavior and teachers not only paid a lot of attention to what we were up to, but we quickly learned to pay attention to what the teachers expected of us. But as we know, don't we, citizenship is a lot bigger subject than classroom behavior. We know it's one of the hottest political topics of our day. But that said, it has become very clear to me that our citizenship as broadly defined dramatically affects the course of our lives. Way back in the early 1960s, I was a citizen of El Paso, Texas. I was a citizen of the Rim Road neighborhood. I was a citizen of Mesita Elementary School. I was a citizen of far west Texas and southern New Mexico. I was a citizen of the United States. Yes, I was a citizen of all these places, and my citizenship shaped, influenced, and affected everything about me from the inside out. I was who I was, and I did what I did all in response to my citizenship. This morning, I'd like to emphasize something for all of us, and that is how we define our primary citizenship determines and affects absolutely everything. And this is such an important point, I believe, for all of us to consider, ponder, and reflect upon. You see, how we define our primary citizenship in life impacts how we go through the joyous, the horrible, and the dull times of life. And from where I sit, I believe most of, not all of us, have had joyous, horrible, and boring times. And so this whole topic of citizenship is a very important deal. And to help us drill down on what I'm talking about, I'd like to, this morning, look at the life of Paul. Paul, the fellow who went from being a totally cruel, wicked, and self-certain man to the key person who spread the news about Jesus all over the Mediterranean countries. Paul, the man who planted churches over thousands of miles. 
Paul, who along with women and men did the hard work of sharing the love of Jesus with those for whom power and control were far more important. Paul, who suffered incredibly. And our reading today is from Paul to the people living in a place called Philippi. And he wrote this letter from a prison cell. Now Paul and others, on one of his missionary journeys, traveled to Philippi and founded a church. And Paul and the people of Philippi had a very close relationship, and so they were very upset when they learned that Paul was in prison in another place. And so Paul writes this letter to the Philippians in response to his imprisonment and their concern. Now, as we learn in Scripture, Paul spent a number of years in prison in a variety of places. Isn't it amazing we admire such an ex-convict in our days now? Prisons then, as they are now, but perhaps even more so then, were horrendous places to be. Often people died because they were dependent upon what people brought them, not from what was provided on the inside. They were places of tremendous suffering and horrible agony. And when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he was in a horrible place. Some people think he may have been in a prison in Rome. Others are not quite so sure where the prison was. But wherever it was, he was in prison. And yet, in the midst of this terrible time, and others like it, these are just a few things that Paul tends to write from prison. I pray with joy. I am confident. I press on and I do not give up. Rejoice. Rejoice always. He writes this from a prison cell. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Really astonishing, and Paul wrote at least four letters we know of from prison, and in each of them he says things that one would not expect to hear in a letter written from such a place. So we have to wonder, don't we, how is it that when Paul was enduring horrible experiences, he was able to express the kinds of things I just shared, things like rejoice, rejoice always, I'm confident. How did he do that? Well, I believe Paul answers this question specifically in his letter to the Philippians. Paul writes, above all, above all, live as citizens of heaven. In another place, he writes, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus lives. And it is because Paul considered himself to be a citizen of heaven primarily and not of earth, I believe, that Paul does all he does, says all he says, and perseveres through all the stuff that confronts him. Paul even writes, whether I live or whether I die, it's okay. Because if I live, I have a chance to serve Christ, and that's wonderful. But if I die, that's okay too, because I know I'm going to be with Christ. So whether I live or whether I die, it's okay. And Paul says this, I believe, precisely because he understands that his citizenship, his primary citizenship, is in heaven. Now, before getting into this idea of heavenly citizenship, and I'm going to do it in a moment, before getting into what it means, just a brief caveat. And as I said earlier, sometimes life is not joyous or dull, but rather quite horrendous. And just because we claim our heavenly citizenship, which I'm going to get to, does not mean that we are not human. And don't still hurt, grieve, despair, cry, question, wonder, feel alone, have a whole host of other things and feelings. 
And just because we are able eventually, hopefully, to claim our heavenly citizenship does not mean we should stuff our honest human feelings and reactions or pretend that we're okay when we're not. But what I am saying is that when we are in a tough place like Paul's imprisonments, if not physically, mentally, when we are feeling tough things, it's critical to remember that our primary citizenship is heavenly because doing so makes all the difference in the world, as it did for Paul. So with this in mind, I want to explore briefly what heavenly citizenship actually means. What is it about? How do we claim our heavenly citizenship? What does it mean to say we're a citizen of heaven? What does Paul mean when he says, above all, live as a citizen of heaven? What is he meaning? Well, I think Paul makes it clear in a variety of places. But first and foremost, when we say we are citizens of heaven, it means that we know down deep, as deep as we can go within ourselves, that we belong first and foremost to God, regardless of what is happening. Here's some verses to help unfold what this means we belong to God in a, from a variety of places. In Scripture we find whether we live or whether we die, we belong to God. Another place, simply, we belong to God. Another place, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Another place, we are all children of God. We are chosen people. We are adopted through Christ Jesus. And all these verses and many others like them make the same point, that fundamentally at its core, we belong to God, first and foremost, ahead of everything and everyone else. And being a citizen of heaven, if we're able to do that, is about claiming our ultimate primary identity as being grounded in God. It's all about claiming that we are first and foremost God's possession. It's embracing the truth that whatever we might look like on the outside, regardless of what we do in and with our lives, no matter where we live, despite our job titles and all the other ways we define ourselves at our core, we're God's. You and I belong to God as we were made by God. And when we see our primary identity as beloved children of God above all other potential sources, our sense of primary citizenship shifts. We no longer are ultimately defined by things which are temporary, which is absolutely everything on earth. Things like careers, nationality, status, assets, heritage, and place, to name a few. We are no longer defined by these things, all of which are temporary, but rather by God. And Paul understood this. And through it all, God invites us to claim our heavenly citizenship by embracing that we are each made by God and God's beloved. And what is interesting for many and for Paul certainly is that the more we see ourselves as God's possession the more we begin to feel like we are just in this temporary world passing through and ultimately not of the world because we're not from here. We're from God. We are sojourners. We are on a journey passing through this very temporary thing. We're not from here. We are from God. And this is why Jesus one day in the midst of prayer near the end of his human life and earthly life said, my disciples do not belong to this world just as I do not belong to this world. 
And when we claim our heavenly citizenship, when we grab the truth that we belong to God, when we begin to feel like we are in this world, passing through, but not of the world, how we see things, how we act, all of our priorities fundamentally shift, totally shift. We begin to no longer live just for ourselves, but primarily for God. Let's look at it this way. If I see myself as a citizen of the United States, which is wonderful, of course, my life and my priorities and how I experience things will be different than if I see myself as a citizen of Russia, for example. And just as there are obligations of being a citizen of the United States, there are also responsibilities that come from being a citizen of heaven, which Paul talks about. In slightly adapted form, Paul writes in another letter, because you are citizens of heaven, because you are from God, because that's your identity, because you are from heaven, not from earth, because you are in the world, not of the world, Paul writes, clothe yourselves with tenderness, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Clothe yourselves in love. And the only way I know that any of us can clothe ourselves in tenderness and mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and to forgive all who offend us and to clothe ourselves in love is to know specifically that we are just passing through, that we are not from here. We are from God. And heaven is where we are from. And Paul says, whatever you do, do it as a representative of the Lord Christ Jesus. Put to death all the sinful things lurking within you. And this is when he begins to talk about actions that represent our earthly, not our heavenly citizenship. Paul says, don't have anything to do with sexual immorality or impurity or lust or evil desires. Don't be greedy. Get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior. Like if everybody did that in America. Get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie. Christ is what matters. We clothe ourselves and the opposite of those things, when we know we are just passing through, that we are in the world, but not of the world. And here Paul says that when we know we are gods, when our identity is grounded in God, when we take our heavenly citizenship seriously, we begin to live for Christ, and our actions begin to reflect our known citizenship. Said another way, when we're clear on our heavenly citizenship, who we are and how we see things and what we do all change. This, in part, is why claiming our primary heavenly citizenship is such an important thing to embrace, regardless of what's happening in life. It is precisely because Paul claimed his citizenship in heaven that enabled him to do what he did in the midst of joy and sorrow. But there's something else that happens when we claim our heavenly citizenship, which is why it's so transformative. And that is when we claim our heavenly citizenship, when we know we are from God, when we know we are in the world but not of the world, when we know who created us, when we know where we are headed, we create space for the peace of God to enter into our lives. Before Jesus was crucified, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippi, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
And while the essence of God is love, God is also peace. Peace that is independent of circumstance. Because God's love, power, healing, forgiveness, and grace do not depend on circumstance. Neither does our heavenly identity. It doesn't depend on circumstance. As one person writes about Paul, Paul describes peace as peace that transcends all understanding. And this means a person can have peace even when it doesn't make any sense. The peace of the world is based on circumstance. The peace of God is not. Said another way, when we claim our heavenly citizenship, when we know we are God's, when we know we belong to God no matter what, when we accept that God is in charge, when we know where we are headed, when our actions change, all of this, because we claim our heavenly citizenship, we become more open to letting the peace of God fill us despite circumstance. Because ultimately, we're not from here. From God. And while there are other aspects of being a citizen of heaven, there's just one more dimension or consequence of heavenly citizenship I just want to mention very, very briefly because I preach on it all the time, and that is love. God is love, we learn in Scripture. Our identity is grounded in love. We are from God and we are headed toward God. So said another way, if we realize that we are from God, if we are heavens of, of, of heaven, if we're citizens of heaven, then our identity is love. And we are from love and we're headed back to love. So when we know we are citizens of heaven living on this temporary earth, our lives become all about love because love is God. And loving God and loving people, as I've spoken about many times, becomes our priority. When we are citizens of heaven, our lives and our priorities shift and shift back toward God, toward love. Citizenship, it really is a profound topic if you think about it. I'm a citizen of heaven. Yes, I'm a citizen of the Roaring Fork Valley. Yes, I'm a U.S. citizen. But underneath all that, and more fundamentally and more primarily, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm passing through. I'm in this world, but not of this world. It makes all the difference. And if you look around and see the world today, just think what a difference earthly national citizenship makes in the lives of people. It's a massive impact. So just imagine how impactful it is if you and I can learn to see ourselves as first and foremost a citizen of heaven. It changes everything. And just to restate, when we see ourselves as citizens of heaven, it means we know where we came from. We know where we are ultimately headed. We know to whom we belong. Our identity is clear. It becomes evident to us who is in charge regardless of circumstance. Our actions and behavior reflect Jesus despite it all. We have the peace of God within us. We understand that our fundamental purpose is to love, love God and love people until we die and go back to where we're originally from. And when we see ourselves as citizens of heaven, we learn to live for Christ knowing we are headed back to Christ. And so just to wrap up, when life is horrible, in the midst of pain, claim your heavenly citizenship. Remind yourself that you are in the world, but not of the world. Remember where you have come from and where you are headed. Remember that you are God's beloved possession. Remember that God's got it, got it all covered God is all over your life because you are from God no matter what is happening. 
And if your life is wonderful and all is just wonderful and fine and dandy, remember the same thing. It keeps you humble. Remember, we are from God. We are God's beloved. And where we are from influences, hopefully, how we show up in the world day in and day out. Hopefully, when things are great, knowing that we are heavenly citizens will remind us to show up and to clothe ourselves in love and humility and kindness and forgiveness. Remembering that we are citizens of heaven will remind us when everything is great that all the blessings we have, everything is from God. And so our lives will then be grounded in gratitude, and our gratitude will compel us to serve in the name of Christ. And whenever our life is dull or boring or mundane, remember all the same things. When we feel listless or without direction or stuck in a routine, knowing where we are from and to whom we belong can help kickstart us back into living for Christ and loving God and loving people, which is why we're all here in the first place. So I was thinking about all of this this week. Thinking back to the 1960s, I was thinking about how amazing and how astonishing it is that so much changes as we age, doesn't it? And as I was thinking about that, remember the story I told you at the beginning of the sermon about all my elementary school teachers, Mrs. Nichols, Mrs. Smith, Mrs. Boachesky. If I could get in a time machine and go back, to that fifth grade classroom of Mrs. Munoz. If I could do that right now, I think I'd free the frog I left in her desk. <laughs> Instead, I'd leave her a note. It's the same reminder I want to leave with each of you. You are God's beloved. We are all citizens of heaven. So let's live that way.